Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. We're back on the two episodes a week schedule. If you can, please go wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like and a review of the podcast. It really does help us out if you do. Today, SI's Brian Strauss joins me to talk about Toronto's MLS Cup title, Brian's thoughts from being on the ground north of the border, the wild U.S. soccer presidential campaign, and which cities we think will get MLS expansion teams. We also talk about staking out MLS owners' meetings and Phil Anschutz curing his own smoked meat. Onward! Joining us now is Brian Strauss, as promised, from Washington, D.C., though he just got back from Toronto, where he was covering the MLS Cup final. Brian, welcome. Hey, man. How are you? I have a ridiculous migraine at the moment. Ah. Um, so uh, that's how exciting Toronto was. Sorry to hear that. So to our beloved listeners, if I sound like I have marbles in my mouth, uh, I do apologize. But we are going to power through because uh, I enjoy talking with Grant about soccer. So, Well, thanks, man. I had, migraines, I had migraines as a kid, and I actually was told that I would crawl across the carpet of our living room as a kid with my forehead on the floor <laughs> to try and deal with migraines until they finally went away. But uh, it's no fun, man. Sorry about that. Appreciate my you embarrassing, My embarrassing coping mechanism, which is why we don't do this on video, as actually, there's a lot of reasons we don't do this on video. But um, <laughs> but in addition to enormous amounts of medication, I tie a soccer sock around my head. There's something about the pressure across the front of my head and then the back of my neck. So I'll take a you know a soccer sock, which is long and you know elasticy, and tie it real tight around my head, uh, Karate Kid style. So um, yeah. But horrifying images for our listeners on both fronts. Well, I hope you beat the Cobra Kai of the migraine <laughs> in this podcast, Brian. But thanks for awesome. joining me. You worked your tail off in Toronto this weekend. Nice work. Lots Thank of you. stuff happening, including obviously the MLS Cup final, won by Toronto 2 nothing over Seattle. What was it like for you covering it on site? I was thrilled to be there. I, uh, I missed the final last year. Um, and so it was, was good to, to start a new streak and, and see what I thought was a compelling game. I mean, there were, you know, there were chances. I mean, it wasn't nearly as, as, as dour and sort of, you know, tight and cautious, uh, as it was last year. I think the conditions helped a bit. I mean, it was a little chilly, but it was the kind of chilly that if you're playing, you're, you don't feel it within a couple minutes. Um, but, uh, tactically it was really interesting and engaging, um, you know, Fry stood on his head again. Uh, you know, the, the, the tension in the stadium, it wasn't, uh, we're in a glass enclosed press box. So you miss a little bit of the atmosphere, but you, I, I could feel it. I felt, I mean, it wasn't raucous. It wasn't celebratory. I mean, these fans were really, really on the edge of their seat and, uh, yeah. And, and just sort of the catharsis and release, uh, when, when Josie scored and, and they won, uh, it was cool to be there. One thing about Toronto is, is your you know, like I said, the press box uh, is is enclosed, which I get. It it's it's north, it's cold, but uh, you know, I'm a hockey fan. I've I've talked about the my capital's misery on this show before, and and I've always wondered why hockey fans bang on glass <laughs> during games because it it serves no purpose. I mean, the players don't acknowledge it. Um, it just seems like a lot of energy expense for no reason whatsoever. But but hockey fans, both sides of the border, like to. They're sitting by the glass. They they really love banging on the glass, 
And so when when Josie scored, the 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 press box is right at the top of the stands on one side. And so there were fans literally sitting right in front of you. And when Josie scored, they all turned around and started banging on the glass of the press box. <laughs> and we're just looking at each other like, what are these people doing? What is the purpose of this? Like we saw it. <laughs> we got it. You know? So this is a thing they do. This is a it's a it's a glass banging thing that perhaps I don't know if it if it's a hockey thing, and so Canadians do it in other sports, or if it's a Canadian thing and it got adopted by American hockey fans. But there was glass banging. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was a packed weekend. Lots going on. There was a World Cup bid presentation, a U.S. Soccer Board meeting, MLS. They they do a really good job of covering everything with the MLS Cup logo in a really short amount of time. I mean, like the elevator doors in the hotel were wrapped in MLS. They somehow got a car into the lobby of the hotel that had the Seattle and Toronto logos on it. So they they work really quickly, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good event, a good game, and and um, I hope people read some uh, read some articles about it. You know what? I am glad that MLS changed the final location a few years ago to play it at the team that had the better record in the regular season because I really love the atmosphere that comes with that. And I think the low point was actually in Toronto back in 2010 when they had That's right. the last neutral site final and it was... Colorado against Dallas in front of a half full stadium that got progressively more empty as the game went on and just a dreary game. And, and I think finally at that point, people realized in MLS headquarters, this kind of sucks. And I like the fact that this rewards regular season excellence, which we've talked about a lot. Well, after I think actually the next year, I think it was still supposed to be neutral site, but it was in L.A. It was in Carson. Oh, that's right. But it so happened think, to be where they lucked out on that. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you're right. Yeah. But you're right. That was the last that was the last game where neither team was home. But but to, to follow up on your point, I, I think people who want the regular season to matter, that's certainly us. Let's hope that's. Uh, Jeff Agus and the competition people and the owners at, at MLS. But after the game in the press conference, uh, Brian Schmetzer, you know, said, you know, we need to get a few more points in the regular season so we can host this thing, you know. And he said, I have no doubt we will at some point. I have no doubt someday we'll play a an MLS Cup in in front of our fans in Seattle. Um, but but he made it clear that that was a goal of the team that there were points out there for the taking uh, that might give them a better shot. And, and, and so that's that'll be music to the ears of people who are, you know, trying to sell regular season tickets and and get people to watch regular season games uh, to infuse a bit more meaning in them. I, I don't know if it infuses more meaning in them on the day. I mean, no one in the middle of July or August or May is thinking about, you know, going for the win in the 80th minute uh, because those two points might help you host MLS Cup. But maybe they do. But, uh, yeah, he, he he made that point specifically sort of lamenting, you know the conditions in the crucible that they had to play in, in Toronto and, and wishing they were back at home to play that match. Several things stand out to me from this final. I think it was a much better final than last year's game between the two teams. Michael Bradley, absolutely immense yep. all over the field in this game. And you look at uh, just the overall impression you get from watching how he played, but also the stats on duels one, Toronto with a huge advantage. It does make you wonder if Ozzy Alonso had been healthy, if that might have been slightly different. Uh, you mentioned Stefan Fry, terrific again. 
especially in the first half. Toronto pretty dominant in this game, and I was a little disappointed that Seattle didn't do more uh, in terms of creation uh, in this game, but they really didn't. I I guess one question I have for you is you were in the press box, so I I can assume that you got a chance to see the replay on Altidore's goal that put Toronto ahead in the second half. It was sort of close on whether he might have been offside, and I was a little surprised that Video Review didn't take a look at it. Were you? Uh, at the time, I wasn't surprised. I mean, it was very close, and I think I think review is for you know something along the lines of obvious errors, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, I know people on Twitter have sort of examined the angles and and the you know the inches and 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 elbows and knees and things of that nature about whether he was he was on or off. I, I've I've sort of said to much ridicule that I think there should be daylight um, between an offensive and defensive player. I would love that. For, for offsides to be called. I mean, if the whole ball has to cross the goal line, if the whole, you know, if, if it's the whole thing that has to be passed to the other thing, um, then then why not the entire uh, offensive player be passed the, the defensive player? Uh, the daylight would make it easier to call as well instead of looking for an, an elbow or a knee, you're, you're looking for, for space. But everyone thinks I'm an idiot for thinking that. But I was also a forward who was offsides all the time. So I, I have a... <laughs> I have a bias. I wasn't as good at timing and curling my runs as as Josie might be, um, obviously. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if, if he had a knee offside, um, you know, I, I, I maybe on a techni- technical level, uh, you know, there was there was a body part offside. But I, I don't know that he gained an advantage by that. He was he was in the clear. There wasn't, you know, he was going to get on that ball regardless. Um, and no one doubts that the goal was coming and no one doubts that Toronto was the deserved winner. And, and so if it's a, if it's an error, it's a, it's a quick one and a forgivable one and and not one that I think, you know, was going to change the course of destiny there. Uh, but yeah, in, in, at, at the moment, at the moment when that happens, it didn't look offside in the press box and, and you're on a personal level, you're more like, well, oh shit, I better start writing. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, I, I and, and it wasn't and it wasn't something Schmetzer even brought up. I mean, you know, I mean, Schmetzer right. had, had 15, 20 minutes there in the press conference to to go over everything. And, and he lamented his own team's performance. He 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 um, I was disappointed that they didn't find a way to adjust to that sort of like I wrote about that, that four, four, two that became the quasi three, five, two in possession with Bradley sort of um, the, the third center back, uh, you know, conducting things. Seattle had no tactical answer for that. That was disappointing. Speaking of Seattle um, tactics, by the way, I tweeted this, that I'm literally having a breakfast sandwich this morning in the Oculus in New York City sandwich. here. And it was a very good bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. I was really enjoying the sandwich. And <laughs> this is now an SI Eats podcast. Yeah. And this random stranger walks by. And there's a lot of strangers who walk by because this is the transit hub here next to the World Trade Center. It's a beautiful Beautiful, soaring, all-white structure designed by Santiago Calatrava, one of my favorite designers. Um, and it's now an architecture podcast. <laughs> and and But one stranger who walks by sees me, stops, and says, Schmetzer should have started New Who, and then walks off. That's awesome. That's absolutely incredible. I I didn't know what to do. I was completely thrown off. I about spit out or choked on my <laughs> wonderful breakfast sandwich. And 
that was just a wonderful way to start the day here. But he's actually kind of right, you know, don't you think? Oh, God, I don't know that um, I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> I don't know that it would have made a difference. To be Really? Honest. I, I was yeah. disappointed that I thought on the left side, Seattle wasn't nearly as effective going forward as it had been when Jovan Jones was farther up on the left side and knew who was at left back. But clearly, yeah, maybe, maybe is, maybe is a bit of pace, maybe is someone who, who, who would have, you know, given, you know, uh, beta shirt a little bit more to think about. I, it's possible, but uh, Toronto was just so dominant. I, I, it's hard for me to see one player making a difference. It, this is also indicative of, of, of you're just so recognizable. You're so recognizable. <laughs> Just this really tall guy with the head and 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 like I'm I I'm a I'm a five seven brown haired white dude who looks like every other you know five foot seven I I no one I'm so, I'm glad my mother recognizes me but you you are people see you from across the street we have made it in soccer Brian when things <laughs> like this happen. Uh, as a country so I'm going to celebrate it that way (laughs) one other question for you about Toronto because Bill Manning the Toronto executive was already talking after the game to like Michael Bradley and anyone who would listen about now we win CONCACAF Champions League and a little bit of background here since we went to CONCACAF Champions League format MLS has never won and has been totally destroyed and dominated by teams from Mexico and other countries uh, still no appearance by an MLS team in the FIFA Club World Cup, uh, which I dare you listeners to know that, oh, that's actually taking place right now. I love um, the FIFA Club World Cup. I know you do. I know in yep. theory it should be a fun tournament. Uh, it would be nice to have an MLS team involved. Can this Toronto team be the one to get there? I had an awesome uh, sort of – I had a nice 10-minute chat with uh, – Toronto GM Tim Bezpachenko after the game as he was <laughs> pounding a bottle of champagne nice. about <laughs> about uh, about exactly this topic and I, I would like to write about it in the next in the next day or two can they yeah, I mean yeah, I mean if, if if Montreal can come within a half of winning it if if Salt Lake can come within a goal of winning it then yeah they can it's just never done just because you know, solving that Rubik's cube of of roster depth, um, you know, conditions, you know, Concacaf inscrutable refereeing <laughs> weirdness, um, and then the timing of the tournament. Um, you know, I think that's an issue. I don't think that's an excuse. I think it's a reason. I think I think you know these teams, MLS teams, come and play their first competitive game in in you know eighty to ninety days against the Mexican clubs that have been in season for a month. That's just going to make a difference. And then you combine that with the fact that, you know, after players three or four uh, on the roster, uh, the salary difference and quality difference is enough that for an MLS team to make it through every round, it it just hasn't happened yet. I think a big difference is going to be what MLS announced while we were up there, which is the extra 2.1, I think, uh, million dollars in discretionary TAM money that... uh, TAM, baby. uh, TAM. Uh, that uh, teams can now use to, you know, buy down uh, potential DPs, add to the middle of their roster, all the kinds of things that I think that have made it more difficult for MLS teams to compete. You know, Toronto is going to spend that money. Um, and as Tim Bezpachenko said, uh, they were planning, they've been planning for CCL for a long time. 
because they originally thought they were going to have to start in August. Mm-hmm. So they, they had this on their minds already. Um, and then the tournament format was changed and pushed back. And now they have an extra $2 million to spend. So I guess you could say if any team can do it, if any team will do it, it's this team. Um, but until it's done, uh, you know, I don't know. But hey, at least they want to. At least they care. At least they're focused. Um, you know, they have that space in their trophy case in the players' lounge at their training ground for the trophy. Um, so they have made it a priority. And uh, it'll be fascinating. It'll for me, it's the for, it's the biggest story uh, of the first half of next season, uh, club wise, um, to see if they can uh, at least get to the final and give themselves a chance. Couple things I would say here. One, wouldn't it be nice if all post game interviews were with half drunk people? Yeah, it's I. It's like drunk history. If like every if every interview. Uh, was done in the in the Comedy Central drunk history format. We would all like our jobs a lot more. <laughs> we might get some better quotes. The other thing I would say is having watched the Liga MX final won by Tigres against Crosstown rival Monterey this weekend, that's going to be the biggest challenge to Toronto winning the CONCACAF Champions League is just Tigres and Monterey are very, very good. They spend a lot of money. They're good teams. They have good chemistry. And they've been there before. And that is still going to be the situation here, I think, until somebody from MLS can break through. And maybe Toronto's that team. But this is the prototypical Lucy pulling the ball away from Charlie Brown every freaking year. And I don't think MLS can, with a straight face, say that they want to be one of the world's top leagues by 2022 if they can't beat Mexican teams in CONCACAF Champions League? No question. They, they, have, to, they have to beat them regularly. There has to, the MLS has to be contending for this tournament and a threat to win this tournament every single time, coming close and then actually doing it. The weird thing, uh, uh, the weird thing about the CCL that starts is that it's all teams. It was all teams that qualified more than a year ago or a year ago. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like I mean, the Rapids are in CCL, right? The, the, the FC <sighs> Dallas. A team that missed the playoffs last year is in CCL. Monterey is not going to be in this edition. It'll have they'll have to wait. You know, I mean uh, Tijuana and Chivas, and, and and it's 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 a weird delayed kind of tournament. But maybe that gives Toronto a chance. I mean, maybe they're in more, and and Tigres is in it as well because they keep right. winning Liga MX. But um, you know, maybe this will help Toronto a little bit uh, that they're playing teams uh, along the way that may not be in their best form. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. It starts in February. I don't know exactly what the date is and the draw is coming up. Um, and they'll, they'll likely, I mean, well, actually, they'll, they'll keep the U.S. and the Mexican teams apart in the first round. But uh, I, I don't, you know, I guess Toronto could draw anyone. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. One thing I want to ask you about, and I realize this is going down the rabbit hole a little bit, so bear with me. We talked last week in some detail about whether Toronto would be viewed as the best team in MLS history. I think we sort of came to the consensus that this is the best single season team in MLS history when you look at various metrics, as those in Columbus would say, (laughs) and that eras are different than single seasons and that the best two eras in MLS history are 1996 to 99 DC United and 2011 to 2014 LA Galaxy. We're together on that, right? Yes. Okay. I like that. Now, one thing that gets mentioned with those DC teams as a separating factor, and we might actually disagree on this one, is that DC won the Inter-American Cup against Copa Libertadores champion Vasco da Gama way back in the day. 
I think this is one of the lamer distinctions I have ever heard of. Do you disagree with me? I'll explain why in a second. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily use it as a as a deciding factor. I wouldn't I wouldn't use it as a tiebreaker. Uh, you know, well, DC won the Inter American Cup, and LA or Toronto didn't. I mean, I'm not I'm not going there. It was an immense accomplishment. No, I mean, it wasn't for, for, for a team. I disagree. Okay, okay yeah, I guess here I we go. It's for, nice to disagree for cool. once. Yeah, for, um, for a team for a team that was less than three years old to go toe to toe. Um, I mean, I, I remember I went to the first leg. I was a fan, and I went to the first leg at, at RFK in 1998 against Vasco, and it and it was pulsating. It was awesome, and it and it felt at the time it was the most gripping. I mean, I went to the '96 MLS Cup final as a fan. 97 uh but but this was the most gripping club soccer game i had ever seen and 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 bosco would you know they were they were a, a powerhouse um and i don't remember them benching their stars uh and so it is an accomplishment it is something to be for for dc united to be proud of it is it is not the thing that separates them necessarily i think other things separate them i think their roster and their accomplishments and the you know their their whatever seven or eight major trophies in four years and i mean i think those are the separating factors that was a a, a significant accomplishment um for a team that was so new to the sport i mean i i don't think you can erase that or take that away i will disagree with it and i have maybe some mitigating factors i'll mention here so First off, let me say this. I do think that DC United team was one of the two best eras in MLS history, no questions asked. I just think that their accomplishments in other areas were far greater than the Inter-American Cup. And I remember actually after DC United beat Vasco da Gama and won the Inter-American Cup, the week after that, Commissioner Doug Logan came over to the office of Sports Illustrated and sat in the office of my editor with me in there. It's like, what, 1998? And says, Sports Illustrated blew it by not covering the Inter-American Cup trophy by DC United. And those were the days when the MLS commissioner, I guess, would come over to the office. Though I guess that still happens from time to time with Don Garber. But it was a weird moment. What I would say is this. It was a nice thing for DC United to win, but where was the return leg? Do you remember? I do, of course. It was at Lockhart Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, for those who don't know. But that was Vasco's home game. That was Vasco's home game, but all of that's true. Like I said, which is why, which is why it, it is what it is, right? The other question I would have is, how many times has the Inter-American Cup been played since then? Well, zero. Conma Ball was a bit embarrassed by the result, right? I mean, why they weren't going to... I mean, I, again, I, I'm, I, I feel like maybe I'm not making the case maybe you think I'm making. I, I, I don't think that it is the thing, like I said, that on its own um, vaults DC United into unassailable, never-to-be-toppled, legendary greatest team of all time status. You know, it, it's not going to be the period at the end of the sentence forever. Um, it, it, it's not necessarily the period at the end of the sentence now. But the fact remains that where, wherever the game was, it's not like Vasco da Gama was was intimidated by Lockhart Stadium, right? It's not like they were they were um, they may as well have started the game a goal down because of the crucible that was Lockhart. This was still Vasco da Gama. This was still the South American champions. And the fact is, is that a two and a half year old American soccer team scored, you know, finished two two on aggregate 
you know, with with the Libertadores champions, and that is an accomplishment. And and I don't know it, how many U.S. teams or MLS teams, forgive me, would have been able to do that since. And so we can't prove it. We don't have the stats. We don't have the empirical data. But it remains an extremely impressive accomplishment that when viewed in conjunction with their domination of MLS of a much more of a 10 team MLS or, you know, a, a 12 team MLS for two years where, where talent was more concentrated, more, you know, we didn't have the same kind of dilution we have now. We also didn't have DP. So there's, you know, you could balance that. But, you know, I still think they were the best. I still think that four years was the most impressive in MLS history. And, and the Inter-American Cup is a part of their resume. Deep, deep rabbit hole. It was. We probably just lost all our listeners. 20, 20 years ago, man. I know. I had yeah. that extra grind. But uh, <laughs> Kevin Payne and Doug Logan can send their angry letters to me, I guess. I want to ask you about the U.S. soccer presidential campaign. Lots happened in the last week, Brian. Sunil Gulati, after 12 years as U.S. soccer president, has announced he is not running for re-election. Hope Solo, of all people, enters the race. Kathy Carter enters the race. So now we're looking at nine candidates ahead of the deadline Tuesday night at midnight for people to have their three formal nominations. I don't think we'll see nine candidates come out of that, but nine right now, two women now. And I'm sure there is tons of chatter in Toronto about the campaign with all just about all the candidates up there. What's your take on all this? There was some chatter. I wasn't necessarily involved in a lot of that chatter or eavesdropping or listening in or participating in a lot of that chatter. I did not see Hope Solo, which was kind of a bummer. Uh, Kathy Carter obviously was there as uh, the head of some. Um, Carlos Codero obviously was there as uh, a vice president of U.S. soccer. He was at the board meeting. Um, The only candidate who attended the U.S. soccer's board meeting who did not have to be there uh, was Eric Winalda. So I thought that was interesting. Um, also, uh, I was I was eating lunch in the hotel restaurant, which is like open to the lobby with a few people. And Kyle Martino walked by. And and I mean, I've spoken to Kyle a bunch of times and, and uh, you know, we even sort of commiserated. Kyle and I uh, were sort of the ones back in 2013 who kind of simultaneously went out publicly with some, maybe some signs that Jurgen Klinsmann didn't always know what he was doing. Correct. Um, and, and, and so Kyle and I commiserated about that at that time. So, you know, it's not like he's inviting me over to his house, but, but I feel like we've known each other. So anyway, so we're sitting there, uh, me and like, you know, five or six other people are sitting there at lunch and Kyle walks over and he says, hi to everybody, but me. (laughs) And then as he leaves, he kind of brushes and he just says, oh, excuse me, and walks away. <laughs> so I, I was – it was a it was a pretty significant diss. Uh, in Kyle I, Martinez's defense, maybe, by the way, Brian, I, I, nice, one of the nicest guys in American soccer. I said soccer. about how I'm just like the most generic looking five foot seven brown haired white dude in the world that maybe he just – maybe he, maybe he thought I was a store mannequin. I don't know. <laughs> But he, he most definitely said hi to like four other people, shook their hands, and I got like a quick excuse me, and he walked away. But I'm not a voter. so I, I will say this, man. <laughs> if you are in that position of being a candidate, and I was once a FIFA presidential candidate. Sure, yes. Um, 
you're trying not to offend people. You're trying to remember names. You are trying to say hello offended. to everyone. I am not offended. I was. I thought you might say that he looked at you and said, Schmetzer should have started New Who. <laughs> This was this was before the game. We did not know that we did not know the tactical malpractice uh, that that was just around the corner by Brian Schmetzer. You know, I, I I I'm sure it's a combination of that he didn't put the face to the name right away, and the fact that I I was I'm easily the most insignificant person in the entire hotel. You're a th- so, you're uh, a that guy. Those two things combined um, that he didn't recognize me right away, and that I don't matter whatsoever. I, I am not offended. I completely understand it. It was just kind of amusing. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, it's strange. It's strange that, that this is a thing, the presidential election and the, the anointing of Hope Solo <laughs> is, is, um, is going on alongside all this other stuff. It's just crazy. I mean, there were times where you're like, oh, yeah, there's a game Saturday between that and, and, and U.S. soccer politics and Columbus crew politics and world cup bid politics and MLS expansion politics. And, 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 you know, and there's a Tim Hortons across the street and I just want to go get some maple donuts, you know, and I hope and you did that. All of this. Sorry. I hope you did that. I, oh, I did. Oh, and also I, I want to say that this is a very, very cool thing and this is very insider esque and I apologize, but Doug McIntyre came down, Doug McIntyre, nice. uh, who left ESPN a year ago, who we all love and 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 is um, a wonderful journalist and a wonderful guy uh, lives in Montreal um, with his family and and drove down for the uh, for the weekend and 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 we saw him at a few events and it was great to see him um, so that was a cool thing but yeah there was just a ton going on and 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 it's ridiculous to try to keep track of it all and maybe that's why I have a migraine right now I hear you man looking at some of the stuff that Don Garber said during his State of the League address. Uh, he talked about a lot of stuff. He talked about uh, Columbus, talked about Miami, talked about expansion. What stuck out to you? Uh, it bothers me that our, I understand we're public figures, and I understand to an extent, and I understand that you aren't apparently the quote, not to Kyle Martino. I understand, <laughs> but I understand the quite like there are people on Twitter talking about the question I asked at the press conference because they stream, and and I get that. That's completely fine. We're we're accountable. I have no problem with that. Which is what, by the way? I asked why, how they were so certain that the problem in Columbus was the market and not the owner. Mm-hmm. How do you separate the two? Um, using Kansas City, of course, as an example. And Kansas City is the exact same city now it was in 2004. Uh, what changed was the ownership. So that, that was kind of my question. What bothers me is the photography is I, I don't need to be sitting there. You're sitting there for an hour. You're in a, you're crammed in. I mean, they could not, they could not cram these, these banquet chairs or whatever they have closer together, you know? So you're not, you're not in the most comfortable spot and they just take a ton of pictures of you. Like there's (laughs) photographers hovering, taking pictures of, of me, of the reporters. And it's one thing to broadcast my question, my work, right? And the answer that Don Garber gives to me, I'm, I'm critiqued for my question. He's critiqued for his answer. So be it. But do you need to have two photographers standing there taking a picture of me picking my nose for 20 minutes? Is that what you did? Like, is that necessary? I, it, it's just off-putting. Who's using these pictures? What they're using them for? But, but someone out there has 8,000 photos of like a room of like 50 journalists. And, you know, I guess enjoy those. Well, um, 
so yeah, that's what jumped out at me. What was your question again? <laughs> Just what stuck out from what Garber was saying. I was confused by what he said about Miami needing local ownership. Okay. That was the one thing that he said that kind of was like, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes. I mean, the whole thing that they'd been waiting for, one of the things they'd been waiting for was to sort of get that, you know, majority billionaire partner, right? And this guy, Todd Boley out of LA is, is, is that guy. And, you know, he signed on in April or May, I can't remember. And they've been doing a lot of their, you know, due diligence, right? That's what, that's a term that rich people use. Correct. Um, so they've been doing all that stuff. Um, and so you've got Boley, you've got Beckham, you've got Clowry, you've got Lyweke, you've got all the, you know, you've got the, the pieces in place. And, and then he sort of said, well, they're, they're looking for additional partners. They're looking for local partners. Um, that's a problem. That's a hiccup. I mean, I, we, we all thought it was a land issue and a, and a, and a, and a site issue about the stadium. So uh, may, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flying blind on this one, but that kind of, that kind of, I found interesting. And then obviously the, the issues with Columbus and, and sort of trying to explain the idea that uh, I think what Garber really wanted to stress was that we've been concerned about this market for a long time. And a lot of the very visceral and understandable reaction that's coming out of Columbus is a result of sort of them finding out about how, how concerned the league and, and pre-court were all at once um, rather than, you know, sort of the, the long term issue that, that this has been to the league and to ownership. So, you know, again, this is as I've written, uh, as I've reported, this is something pre-court negotiated with the league. Um, when he bought the team in 2013, his offer was the only credible offer that they had for the club. It's possible that, that the Hunts could have shut the club down if they couldn't have sold it. Um, and they sold it to a guy who was willing to pay market value uh, if he was given this, uh, this out. And so pre-court negotiated this. So, this. so to be very clear here, I just want to make sure that this has now been fully established, is that Garber and MLS are saying that Anthony Precourt would not have bought the Columbus crew if he had not had the, the clause in the contract that would allow him to move the team to Austin. I don't I would I don't know that MLS is saying that, but but that is my understanding of what occurred that he negotiate he negotiated. Now I don't know if I don't know I don't know what his his walk away point was. I mean, I don't know if he would have still I mean, I don't know who won that negotiation, right? But 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 pre-court negotiated that. And so does that give the fans in Columbus, the city of Columbus, does that all give them the right to say, well, then if you had this out the whole time, how can we be certain you you put everything you had into making this work? And that is a perfectly understandable, valid and critical question, which is why I asked Garber at the press conference, how do you know which it is, the, the, the owner or the or the or the market? Um so all of that is 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 valid and important, um, and and I think something that the league and pre court still need to answer for. Uh, but like I said, this was something. This is not something the league can really stand in the way of, um, because this is something that they agreed to back in 2013. And 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 as some people have said behind the scenes, just things were very different in 2013. They weren't in position to command 150 million dollars for an expansion team back then. You know, Columbus. They felt Columbus was in trouble. Um, so back in 2013 MLS, pre-court's buy-in of 70 million or whatever it was uh, with this out um, was the, was by far the best deal they had at the time. And that's not making excuses, but it's just the reality. So when people are like, why doesn't MLS stop this? I don't think they can because I think they agreed to it uh, four years ago. So so the onus now is on pre-court um, and the league to an extent to explain 
to, to, to demonstrate that he did everything he could, everything an owner could do to make it work, um, and that this is somehow on the market's uh, you know, shoulders, uh, that they didn't do their part. Um, and I don't think I think they have failed to demonstrate that to this point. You know how I feel about this, Brian. I'm from Kansas City. I know what a wasteland for soccer MLS was in Kansas City playing an Arrowhead Stadium before basically nobody for the longest time until they got good local owners, built a great stadium, and now look that they fill that stadium every single week and they win trophies all the time. And it's certainly possible for that to happen in other original MLS markets, and it hasn't. And that's, to me, the single biggest problem with this league because I don't think you want to move original teams ever. You don't want to move any teams ever. No. But and they've acknowledged that. But, I mean, Garber used the word traumatic, and so at least he, you know, at least he says those words. But the uh, right owner can make things happen if they want to. Uh, no quite right and again that's why i asked that question i mean i i i you know w- you know look at the stuff that that you know there's a lot of really enterprising uh, fans and business people and supporters in columbus that are that are posting information about what what can pretty convincingly be argued is a lack of 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 total commitment by pre-court and pre-court sports ventures whatever you want to call it you know they 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 didn't sign all the dps they didn't do all the promotions they didn't do all the things they could have done um, and, and so again, this is what happens when you sort of have that out that pre-court negotiated in, in 2013. Um, I think in terms of the league overall, in terms of their, you know, pre-court, and pre-court doesn't have a stadium deal in Austin yet, by the way. So right. this is another thing that, that he could, he might wind up being a man without a country, um, you know, if he can't lock something down in Austin. So I don't know how much leverage he has now, uh, in, in Austin, uh, because he's, he's apparently burned every bridge in Columbus. So uh, I, I still think Precourt may be having a sleepless night or two. Here's my uh, prediction, by the way, is that that Austin team will be called PSV Austin after Precourt Sports Ventures and a sort of weird allusion to PSV Eindhoven. Thanks for making my headache worse. <laughs> we got five minutes left here, and I'll try it's not to make def- your head. That's the most offensive thing you've ever said. <laughs> I th- I'll predict it. I'm not saying I like it. We got about five minutes left here, Brian. MLS expansion being announced later this week, Board of Governors meeting on Thursday here in New York City. Tried to decide if I should stake it out or not. I've got a lot stake of other, it. I've got a lot of other stuff to do, man. I haven't had a successful MLS stakeout for owners since I got in the face of Phil Anschutz back in Columbus in the early 2000s trying to get the first interview that he had given in probably 20 years and told him that I went to school with his daughter. And that sort of—that's not creepy. I mean, I didn't say I asked her out or anything. I mean, you're like lucky. you're lucky you didn't get tased. Probably so, actually, when you think <laughs> about it. But he actually was a very nice man, uh, one of the wealthiest men in the world. And I gave him my card, and I got a phone call later on that week from Phil Anschutz. Like, it woke me up. It was like really early, especially for a guy who lives in Denver, and. I pick up the phone and he says, Grant, this is Phil Anschutz. And I'm like, kind of thinking it's a joke, realizing then that it's not. And he just wanted to call and tell me that he had spoken to his daughter. And yes, he had confirmed that I had gone to school with her. She's very nice, by the way. But he still said he wouldn't give me an interview because he just hadn't done it for 20 years and and didn't plan to start. But he established his fact-checking bona fides. He did. 
He did. Uh, a few years back, when Anschutz owned DC United, um, he had uh, he flew the team out to his ranch, and Stephen Goff uh, went out there. And I remember Steve, they you know he was allowed to sort of tag along on part of the trip. And I remember Steve telling me that um, Anschutz makes his own beef jerky on his huh. ranch. Um, so he's a beef, he's an art, artisanal beef jerky kind of guy, which is which is awesome. Um, was it, but, was uh, it Biltong or something else? <laughs> oh, no. Amazing. Biltong. Look it up, people. Biltong. <laughs> summer 2010, the summer of Biltong. Um, I know that. And, and the greatest thing is, is it sounds dirty. It really does. It really does. Like we need another explicit lyric sticker on this version of the podcast because of Biltong. It's totally awesome. Yes. Owners meeting, board of governors meeting on Thursday, I think it is. Um, Correct. No, no promise of an announcement that day. No promise of an announcement any day. They are giving themselves wiggle room. They are giving themselves time to to debate and and ask for more um, and and make sure they get this right. Um, and and so uh, you know you stake it out, go for it. Um, you know I've been trying. You know I mean get Andrew Houtman to say something to you. That's been one of my goals. But uh, yeah, no promise of a decision. Um, they have said this year, so I mean, there's you know, if they don't make one Thursday, uh, we can expect one soon. And and uh, all signs still point to them identifying two teams, correct? Uh, out of those four, um, you know, some people have asked if maybe they'll name three because of Miami, because of the delay. And I, they could do anything. They could do anything. They're the bosses. They could do anything. But I don't see it happening um, in part because there are other markets. They picked four finalists out of the eight, and there are markets among those eight that I think the league would like to see what happens with them over the next year, year and a half. So let's say they pick Nashville and Sacramento, okay? Now, Cincinnati, let's say, uh, hypothetically, let's say they pick Nashville and Sacramento, one east, one west, and, and, they, and, and they tell Cincinnati, look, there's still a couple steps to go on your stadium plan, firm that up. They also would like to give St. Louis and San Diego and Phoenix and Detroit and some big markets, some top 20 markets, give them uh, six months, a year, however long to see what else they can put together on their bids. Cause this is a long-term thing. This takes, this takes a while. What Nashville did and Sacramento and said is weird to get things together that quickly. So they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, take up, they're, they're not going to take, use a place, use an extra spot um, that might, uh, down the road, uh, be available for a market, a bigger market that suddenly gets, gets a, a really good bid, a really good stadium, a really good package together. So, um, even despite the delay in Miami, despite the issues there, um, the, the tea leaves still suggest, uh, that they're going to name two. So bottom line here, you have covered MLS expansion better than anyone out there. Listeners, just Google Brian Strauss, MLS expansion, millions of things will pop up. All of it, stuff that I've written on Jurgen. <laughs> Google, Google won't let my five years of 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 poking Jurgen die. And no matter what you search with me, anything. Uh, anyway, uh, not that you're googling yourself or anything. Um, but how else do you find stories you've written? <laughs> so, bottom line, here's my question: We're expecting two cities to be named. Maybe as soon as this week, I am. That's what I've been told by MLS people. Of the four finalists, which are Nashville, Cincinnati, Detroit, and Sacramento, which two do you expect 
will be named. I am going to go with with far for, from 100% confidence. I'm going to go with Nashville and Sacramento. Reason being that Cincinnati, like I said, still has a couple – still has a couple I's to dot and T's to cross on their stadium plan as far as I know. And and the difference, but the subtle difference between Sacramento and Cincinnati, Sacramento is a top 20 media market. Sacramento has been in this game for a while and ha- essentially was almost promised an expansion team um, by the league. It's, an, it's a Western team. It's the only Western team uh, in the running. So Nashville, Sacramento, give them that East-West conference balance. Great brand. And now an extra $3 billion uh, in the net worth of the ownership, thanks uh, um, to, uh, to the command now, or Meg Whitman, thank you, CTE, CTE moment, thanks to the committal of Meg Whitman. Um, and and that, is, that is money that I don't think Cincinnati, that is an, uh, a level of net worth now that, that I, I believe eclipses Cincinnati's. And so again, just, just by, by a hair, by a nose, I go with uh, Sacramento. And then, and then Nashville, I think, is, is the, is the top-rated market in the committee's eyes. So that's my guess. I'm not even going to venture a guess here because you have owned this. That's uh, not fair. You, make, you put me on the spot and then you don't know. You have you're to the do authority, it. man. Um, you're the authority. I've certainly people done come re- up to you. People come up to you in the street and argue about tactics and, and, and run away. You are an authority. You, you have to go. Okay. So I will say likely the same. Sacramento, Nashville, uh, Detroit. I'm a little surprised even made the final four, especially after they changed their stadium plan from a soccer specific stadium downtown to just playing games at the NFL stadium at Ford field. We need fewer NFL stadiums in MLS, not more, uh, in my opinion. And then, like you said, Cincinnati, not totally ready on the stadium front. Certainly a lot to be excited about there. I think yep. they will almost certainly, unless something crazy happens, get one of the next two slots. Yeah, Formid- formidable favorite for for what you would whatever you would call a team team twenty seven. Yeah, for, absolutely. And I look at Sacramento and I'm like, look, I think they deserve it. They've done it right. Um, so Sacramento and Nashville will probably both be wrong, but um, <laughs> inevitably. <laughs> but Brian Strauss just wanted to say thank you for playing through, playing hurt this week, dealing with the migraines. I hope I didn't make it any worse here. And we'll be back next week. Yep, I'm going to go answer some emails, unpack my suitcase, tie that soccer sock back around my head, and uh, get ready for another uh, insanely baffling week in American soccer. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the new 30-Minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon with a free seven-day trial now. Recent guests include Juan Carlos Osorio, Howard Webb, Stuart Holden, and Gwendolyn Oxenham. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. 
you get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.